Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the American Reconstruction Project. I'm your host, Colin Derrick. Uh, it is 3-29-2015. Uh, I just can't believe how time has been flying by. Uh, as I say so many times that I wake up and I realize that another week has gone by, although when I wake up, it's, I get a good night's sleep, which is seldom. That's uh, kind of amazing. Uh, last night, I actually went to bed and went to sleep uh, at 10.30 and woke up at 11.15, got up, slept again for about another 45 minutes, and then... Something woke me up. I think I got a phone call or something. The camera was kind of blur. And uh, I just got inspired. And I kind of want to, you know, I, I tend to do this at the beginning of the show because uh, we know that people don't come on until the end. And I talk about the things, the lessons, and things that I call wisdom, um, which uh, I made a few notes tonight about things. And the reason is because knowledge is, is only knowledge until you apply it and learn something from it. So it's, it's what you learn by applying it that gives you the lessons, and the lessons try to give you wisdom. And that's kind of why I tell stories. And if you look at the Bible and a lot of your religious documents, you tell things in story form, the reason is because there's so many layers, there's so many levels, there's so many intonations that go into a story that you can never possibly describe in a scientific manner. Uh, and we sort of talked about that before. One of the things I wanted to, you know, and this is personal stuff, obviously, but I know that, uh, and I've learned this from before, if I'm going through it, then there's other people who are going through it as well, because we're all going through similar lessons. And I'll share a real quick story on that, is that um, I remember I was in college, and you know, at that time I was living in a garage, half of it I used for fixing cars and motorcycles, whatever people brought to me, welding, whatever it was. And uh, in order to put myself to college, and then the other half I had, you know, bump heads in there and swing from the ceiling and fireplace and so on. And, um, and I remember um, the day my dad died, um, you know, was, I don't know how many people know, but I left home at 14 because I got tired of the, you know, the abuse and games and the bullshit. And uh, so here it is. I've already been to the military. I've been out for five years and I'm in, in college now. Um, and I remember his ghost came through, and in this typical fashion, I was doing something. I don't know what it was, probably honing out. Uh, I think I was honing out a cylinder on a Volkswagen um, 1600. Or, no, I was a 1200. I was building, I rebuilding a 1200, and, which is a real super classic. That was a thrill for me. It was one of the first ones I ever did. I learned a lot from this process. Um, but, um, you know, I, I just remember his ghost on his usual, you know, kind of, he he, he had a, he was a master at what you call double negative. And I'll explain a double negative to you very, very quickly. It goes something like this. Why are you, you know, he would ask you a question, why are you so stupid? And, you know, things like that, it's, there's nowhere to go. 
The moment you open your mouth to try and explain why you're stupid, well, you're admitting you're stupid. The moment that you try to tell them that you're not stupid, you know, you're, you're, he's going to make you look stupid. So, that's, you know, he's a master. There's, there's other people out there that are what I call natural. Um, you know, I've actually dated people who just, just naturally just turn everything around and make you look like crap. Well, it took a long time for me to figure out the reason they do that is because they don't want you to see what they're doing, okay? Um, and that's usually typically, too, people are pointing the finger, pointing the finger, pointing the finger, or accusing you of something. Usually that's what they're doing. And they want you to look at, you know, and analyze yourself and defend yourself. Sound familiar? By defending yourself, you're not looking at what they are doing. And I'm going to play a little bit of recording of conversations uh, while I wasn't on here earlier. Because I was talking to Rico, man, and, you know, he spews it out. I mean, like I said, I mean, if I just played that recording, which is, I think, all 15 minutes long, it would be the whole show. Because he lays it out. I mean, we repeat it. And what I'm doing here is just kind of dragging it out. Because I know we're not at his level. Nowhere even close to it. I've been working it. First of all, we have to deprogram ourselves and then reprogram ourselves. So, as I said before, you can spend too much time trying to deprogram yourself. It's better to replace something with something else and move it out. And it's kind of one of the things I wanted to open up with tonight was, um, you know, for a long time I've had somebody who keeps coming in and out and they're very abusive and I help them out and they. You know, at first they were very thankful, and now that they, you know, become more, and this is typical, I found this as a teacher. If you ever become a teacher, you're going to find this to be true, that uh, your students, not always, but a lot of times your students become rebellious, if you want to call it that, because, and they want to get away from you. It's part of the process. It's like a child who, you know, kicks and screams and hollers and says, I hate you, and you're, you know, and a wise parent will smile and go, good, because, if you have that much courage and you, you've got that much balls and you get you think that you have that much that you can, you know, kick your parents and so to speak and, and, and go off on your own, it's part it's a part of kicking you kicking they're kicking themselves out of the nest because the parents aren't strong enough to do it themselves kind of thing. So, you know, there there's that aspect. But you have to also smile because you know that you've done something right in order for that in order to make them uh strong enough to do that to believe they can go on their own. And um, um, so, uh, you know, there's the, the side that I'm talking about here is where at the same time, I'm sitting there complaining about this person other people. Oh, you know, every time I help them and every time I share with them and they don't want to give me credit and, you know, they're now, they're, now they're actually bad. You know, it went from, well, thank you to, oh, you know, well, first to start, oh, thank you so much. I'm not in jail because of you and, and I, you know, I owe you my life and, you know, oh, this is, you know, wonderful, wonderful. And then as you teach and train, the more they get more of a handle, then they want to start arguing with you. And then you have to have those discussions where you show them how they incorrectly interpreted the statute, the law, or they don't quite understand it. And then you, you're guiding them. And then pretty soon they become, you know, well, I, I know everything. And that's basically what this person has been for the last year and a half. Well, I know everything. You haven't taught me anything. It's actually in writing. So now they become a combatant. And pretty soon they become a pain in the ass. And I can't tolerate it because every time they call, they get themselves in either a sticky situation or they needed some help or something like that. And, very, and this person is very crafty in that they just completely, they never apologize for their, if you want to call it misbehavior, their um, nastiness, let's put it that way. And, uh, and they just call up and they go, oh, do you still have this and do you have that? And I need your help because I can't find my files and I didn't put it in and blah, 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 but I need your help because I did not give you those files. And then I spend the next four or five hours talking about their case and trying to help them out and, and, and talk about, you know, 
different things that, you know. And then, of course, as soon as they get everything they need, and I spend another six or seven hours finding the files and sending it to them, and they send a nasty little Skype to me, well, you think you know everything, and you don't know anything, and let me prove to you how you don't know anything. It's like, oh, okay. So I got to thinking about this. I said, well, you know, whose fault is that? And it's really my fault because I continue to put up with it. I continue to tolerate it, keep allowing it to happen. I said, Colin, as long as you're doing this, and, and the other side is another part of my brain that's realizing that as long as I continue to allow um, people to take up my time that I know are going to end up uh, challenging or being nasty and I have to quote unquote stand if we waste hours discussing and arguing, I'm not getting any, anything done in my life either, and I have, don't have a good taste in my mouth. And I thought, well, wait a minute. As I said last week, you know, I listened to my own words too. Um, because I'm, usually that's, I mean, I'm talking to myself as much as anyone else. I'm just sharing, you know, my experiences. And I got to think about what I said last, you know, you know who's the grand fool? The fool or the one that argues with the fool, you know, uh, or an idiot, whatever you want to call it. Somebody who doesn't understand something. Um, and, uh, and I got to think, well, why do you keep doing it? Do we allow, create, you know, that was, that was $2,500 seminar. And when the one thing I took away from that seminar was, was uh, we allow, create, or promote everything in our lives. Um, not necessarily everything, but pretty close to it. The more I look at it, I'm like, yeah, doggone it, that's correct. Because I keep allowing this person to get under my skin. This is what the problem is, right? And, um, you know, I, 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 I also call it a Christ complex because, you know, you know when you read and you, you understand the whole concept and the thing they put you on, you're going to be more Christ-like and it's not nothing. But, you know, if you look at it, it, Christ also turned over the tables of the money changers and beat them with a whip. So there's limits. There has to be limits. And also so far as this, you know, kindness. I always say that kindness is the is the only true currency. And that's true. But you also got, I'm beginning to learn about you gotta be a little bit kind to yourself as well, particularly if you're not really helping somebody else out. And you're you're not really helping your child out if every time they get into trouble they come back and you rescue them. The idea is for them to fly on their own, for them to stand on their own feet and to learn their own lessons. So going back to the thing with my father's, uh, I call it his ghost or spirit, came through the garage, and I was working on something. And his comment to me was, why are you doing that? It's already been done. You know, why do you keep reinventing will? And I remember my response was, you know, really came from the spirit, not from me. I just, just instantly came out. And I said, well, I've never done it. And there was a major epiphany at that point for me. The point is, is that most of us will have similar lessons because we're all unique and we're all different spirits. And we all need to learn the lessons that other people have learned. And that kind of also explains why uh, so many people will listen to me, listen to other people. They run around and listen to everybody else, and they, they don't do. You know, we have so many people, and I can't tell you just that another couple calls this week from people that are just not doing and there's other than doing it for them um which ultimately i can't because even if i i'm actually believe it or not i'm actually trying to do that for this one particular person trying to put together documents that will get rid of the case without them ever having to go in court and there and know anything um but you know i was getting frustrated and i of course I have conversations with other people that oh they're not doing it they're not going to do it well then why am i wasting my time if they're not going to do something about it so I decided in this particular case, I said, you know what, 
I'm going to do something about this. I'm not going to open myself up anymore. So I finally cut them out. I just said, you know what, basically have a nice life, you know. If that's how you feel, you know, you you haven't learned anything from me. You don't need me even though every time you're the one calling me. Uh, I'm not going to argue. It's a waste of my time to argue and go through. And I, and I started doing it. I started going through all the old emails and all the old Skype messages going back three years or four years ago. And, you know, where the person says, oh, thank you so much. My, and and, and my, my ass is on the line. I'd be in jail right now. And, and I, all of a sudden I stopped. And I said, why are you, you know, are you, is this going to help you win your case? No. Is this going to help them? No, because it's just a fight. And this person is what I call a, a drama drama queen or whatever you want to call it. You know, they like drama. They like the anxiety. And I remember the same person uh, asking me throughout the years, why does this keep happening to me? Well, I answered the question on my last email. I said, because you keep allowing, creating, and promoting it. You know, as long as you keep kicking people, I mean, think about it. If you're kicking the people that have cared about you and ask nothing in return and given to you, uh, what does that tell you about the other people? And I could see this person constantly kicking the hornet's nest as well. You know, eventually somebody's going to sting you back. Somebody's going to come after you. Somebody's going to, you know, try to cause you problems because there's people that are just as angry at themselves or frustrated or whatever it is the source is uh, that, that they want to battle. And and I the other thing is that this is just common sense. If you look. Around, you know, you could look at, you know, people watch TV all the time. I don't have a TV. I mean, I have a screen, but I don't watch TV anymore. But I do, you know, I can watch shows, and you can see there are happy people out there. There are people that are happy doing things. There are people that are involved with other people, and they surround themselves with like-minded people. They surround themselves with people that are positive. Well, I realized that I needed to remove that which is causing me, you know, if you have a, a pebble in your shoe, do you keep walking on or do you eventually pull your shoes off and take the pebble out? It's causing you discomfort. And the other issue on that is by removing it, and this is, seems to be a truism, is that there's only so much space in our lives. And, and 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 it's true. I've got you know, like I've got you know, eight, nine, ten, twelve, fourteen boats in my backyard and it's like it can only sail one at a time. Now the reason I happen to have that many boats is because I was gonna go fix them up, and then sell them, and that's all apart. But it still comes down to toys. How many toys do you really need? You know, you can only use one at a time. So, And then you have to maintain all those. So you become a slave to all these toys. And, and so I decided, you know, there's only so much room that you have in your life. Um, and so I decided to remove those things that are uncomfortable. So I finally did that. Finally, finally, finally did that. I just said, that's it. I'm blocking this person. I don't want the negativity in my life anymore. And it, it's kind of a sad statement that you have to do that to somebody. But people kept telling me all the time, Colin, you can't save the whole world. And it's like, well, yeah, you're right. You know, you can take care of yourself. And when I was talking to Rico Man earlier, that's basically, and I'm going to play a little bit of it for you, but that's basically what he was saying. I mean, he said it many times. He says, you, you can't save these people. They have to save themselves. There's their lessons that they have to go through. Um, and there was another, there was a woman in New York that called me, and she's all fanatic and stuff, and just completely going crazy, and, and I was trying to get details on what the case is about. She just yelled at me, it's false, it's, it's not true, they're liars, they're liars. I'm like, look, the judge had 240 cases before you, and he's got another 150 after you, and you're just telling this person's lying, and you haven't even told them what the, they haven't even told me what the lie is that they're lying about. 
mean, it literally took me an hour and a half to two hours. It was only because there was another older gentleman there that was actually had some details, some information that was able to share with me a little bit of the substance of the case. And, it, and I noticed that the same thing, that if you listen to all these other shows, if you listen to, as I did for so long, and I started, you know, I get these emails, um, and, and I, I, on one computer, I was going through my emails on Truthmonger 6, and I have a whole bunch of stuff, and, you know, InfoWars, and that's a great, you know, I, I like the show personally. I think he's got some really good stuff, and he did one recently, which you ought to check out. But then even then I thought about it, I was like, he's got all the facts, he's got it laid out, but the, the, whether he's fear-mongering or not fear-mongering, and he's got evidence, everything that they're doing, that, you know, there's a takeover, we're going to have um, uh, martial law and everything, and he's been, you know, talking about it for 14 years, and he's got all the documentation there, and that's fantastic. But he's not bringing a, he's not bringing any any cases. He's not learning case law to actually do something. He's letting people know. But what and, but you know what the end of the show is about? It's up to you people. That's the end of the show. It's up to you people. You have to do something about it. And this is the this is why, you know, the difference between what Mike Golden does is there's nobody like Mike. He, he remembers people's names. He he he, he preempts the show. He, he did his show 24 hours a day. He was the show. Um, but in the end, the reason why I don't do his format is because first of all, I'm not him. But second of all, if, if you go by the depth that American Reconstruction Project, reconstruction, because that's what I did for many years, buy properties and reconstruct them, it requires you to work. It requires you to cut wood. It requires you to put nails and screws in and take stuff apart and redo it. And the fact of the matter is, if we're not going to, um, if we're not going to do something, basically it's become insane. And I think for him it was as much entertainment and trying to, because he was a showman. And there's people out there, and I think uh, that tonight is the, um, the uh, what is it, I Heart Radio Awards. And, and I was actually listening to it on the radio. Um, you know, and, I, and, and it's great, it's wonderful. It's, I'm sure it's better when you can see the people. Um, but even just listening to there's a lot of good people on J.D. Fox and, and uh, Shania Twain and you know, I wouldn't mind seeing you know seeing her, what she looks like so many years later, because I only have pictures in my mind from years ago. But there again, is that going to help me um, move forward and get done what I need to do, which is clearly I need to file a 42-1983. And in order to do that and win, not just file it, but win, um, I need to have my shit together. I need to have it done right. I need to know the elements. So... I'm going to be talking about that um, a little in, in just a little bit. I want to cover some other issues there. So what was kind of funny is that once I made the first step and I blocked that person out of Skype and so on, um, it just felt so – I just immediately there was this relief that came over. I was like, oh, my gosh. So I went through. I started, well, don't need them anymore. Don't need them anymore. Don't, no, they caused me you know, really to really need this caused me anxiety. They caused me anxiety. They caused me anxiety. They caused me anxiety. And I have no, I'm not in this group and, and I'm not reading it. So get rid of that, get rid of it. So, I don't know, some people call it house cleaning. So I finally did some house cleaning and it made me feel, and then I actually did physical house cleaning. That made me feel a lot better. Um, and when you feel better, um, you sleep better and your mind is more focused. So I'm learning. I'm still learning a tremendous amount, and with some people say, oh, well, you know, I learned that when I was in third grade. Well, okay, not everybody has, um, and I'm sure there's lessons that you have to learn as well. Everyone has to learn their own lessons. You see, this is what it's all about. So um, let me 
see where are we. Oh, I want to uh, mention here. It also has to do relativity. Hello? Yeah. Okay. I wanted to first. I wanted to cover a little bit at the end of the show last week, where we had a nice little roundtable. Although one of the people who was creating the controversy um, had to constantly be muted out because he wasn't allowing other people to present, and he would raise issues and just what I call throwing shit on the wall and not having anything to back it up. And I just backed off and let some of the listeners that were on speak up and and basically say, well, where are you getting that? And they, as you saw, we had intelligent people on the show. Thank you um, and and for participating. So um, I wanted to very quickly cover that. Um, I was out on, in the car with a friend of mine, and I mentioned a little bit of what went on at the end of the show and his stance on the word candid, where he looks at the word candid uh, as meaning, in his mind, it means white people, okay? And, of course, you heard a lot of if you listen or it's on the show. But uh, his instant response was the word candid was like a blank canvas, meaning a white blank piece of paper. And thus it made perfect sense it went, what the definition that I read in the dictionary, which meant unbiased. So it's something that is completely blank, unbiased, and it fits, it makes sense. But then think about it. There's no way that he is able to see that because at this point in his life, um, he wants to cling to these concepts so that ultimately he can blame it on somebody else. Um, And we're looking at what's going to work, trying to get rid of everybody except for the quote-unquote Anglo-Saxons, as he called. First of all, even if he stepped back for a second, he would realize how silly that seems and how silly it would be. And I had one little last common sense thing when I wake up in the morning uh, I think it was two days ago and I always like to confer, some people call it prayer, I just call it you know, talking with creator and and then all of a sudden it came to me and it was like, well if other races were not part of the human race then how come they can um, have babies? Because clearly as far as I know anyway, you can't have uh, even though we do have sheeple, as far as I know, they didn't come from man and sheep um, or bird or anything that, you know, any other species. So clearly the way that, and nature's, as it says, the laws of nature and nature's God, clearly it would be reasonable to see that if uh, the creator intended us to be that separate, that um, even though we can be kindred spirits, we'd be kindred spirits with dolphins and Dolphins, like you know, those, those ones that used to be my friends, still we're never going to have any offspring because that is the way the Creator set it up. Is we are separated. So the whole race thing, uh, as far as I'm concerned, that's the answer to the question. You let's go back and ask the Creator what his and what his her intent was, and um, the intent is clear because you can uh, marry with other races. You can have children, you can have offspring, and they can be wonderful people. And uh, they can even be imposters pretending to be a president. Isn't that amazing? So um, that kind of ends it right there as far as I'm concerned, because as I read in in the article that the number of presidents actually had, um, quote-unquote, other ancestry in them from from, uh, indigenous Indians to 
uh, other other uh, other quote unquote what they call the laces. I think it's just a dumb thing. And but I look forward to one day what Martin Luther King did say, which was that no longer would somebody be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And uh, if we started getting into content of character, I think uh, unfortunately that it, it would a lot of people would fail today. Um, they um, wanted to mention that this has to do with relativity. Um, and I was going to tell a few things about that, but I'm not going to waste, you know, spend the time on that. Um, if you look at, uh, and I just wanted to mention, you know, Einstein's theory of relativity, that even as smart as he was, he understood that he was only expressing a theory. Um, and um, when you look at relativity, you can see things now differently than you saw things when you were a child or even the last year. And the question is, how quickly are you willing to move on? And that's why I keep sharing things that, you know, for many years I was involved in all that uh, guru uh, dumb stuff that wasn't working. And that's what I, and I, and I do this many times. I'll stop and say, wait a minute, I'm angry and I'm frustrated. Why? What is it that I'm doing? What is it that I really want? And that's why I came up with that phrase, blessings. And I put an equal sign after this. May your desires be fulfilled. Not may your wish, you know, you know, Good luck on that, you know, uh, and that's basically what I would say to him now. It's like, you know, he's going to talk about the things and stuff. Very simple thing to do, very, it sounds cold, but I don't have time to, to, to convince him or try to share things with him uh, that might convince him otherwise because he believes, and it was Michael J. Anthony. Uh, we had this wonderful talk, and it was just a couple weeks before he, before he died. And uh, we spent several hours on the phone, and I, I just really admired. That's one of the few people I really, really admired. He was an amazing person, and he, and and he, I've never met anyone that was so knowledgeable and yet so calm, so cold, and so collected. His voice was would minister to you. Unlike me, I get all excited and emotional, but that's you know I kind of choose to be that way. Um, I prefer to be emotional. I prefer to be a little bit crazy, a little bit wild, because I think that's part of what we are as humans. But he had this amazing peace about them, and he could just calm you down, even though uh, he's correcting, you know, your perhaps your, even your your whole belief system. But he used to say this. He says, if you believe something, he says, I really can't talk to you. He says, now, if you tell me do you think something, now I can talk to you. Because he says, I can change the way you think by giving you evidence. And But if you believe something, he says, I can give you all the evidence. And I really kind of got it. And then last night, um, or this morning, or whenever it was today, when I was, you know, kind of prepping for the show, I got to thinking about it. I was like, wow, that was some tr- serious, serious wisdom there. Because if you think about it, everything has to do with your perspective. Everything has to do with what you believe. And, and this goes back to feelings. Because actually the whole thought came off on the concept of feeling. That this woman I was talking to was just irate. She was I don't even know what you're talking about. And, and I got to think, what's really going on here? Why is it I'm not able to communicate with this person? I was finally, after I backed off and I said, uh, how do I communicate with this person? How do I get through to this person? In the same way that I shared last week about that case, the assault case, where when I was getting frustrated with a witness uh, who was also the accuser, um, and the judge said, ask more specific questions. You see, that's why I tell the story, because everything is intertwined. And I've been studying all sorts of other things. The last thing I needed was criminal charges on me for, you know, an abandoned vessel and dumping over 500 pounds, and that just really freaked me out. 
And I kept thinking, oh, I don't have time for this. But in hindsight, once again, I see how it has given me clarification. It has given me a lot, you know, and, and winning that case the way that, that, that I did, with the help of, 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 of my mentor, um, and even what he was telling me at the time, I kind of got it. But then only after it was over, I was like, oh, I get it now. So it's, it's all about these learning and epiphanies. That's what, that's what we're here to do. And, I, I, and I'm here just to try to help and guide and basically, you know, if you listen to my story, maybe you go, yeah, 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 me too. Or, oh, that makes sense. Or you might derive something else from it that I hadn't even thought about. Um, so I wanted to mention that. Um, that feelings, what was that right here? Feelings do not know logic. Uh, and we tend to argue about logic. We argue what's right and what's wrong or even what is truth. But feelings don't care about truth or what is right and wrong. And it's interesting when you think about that scripture that says, thou shalt not eat of the knowledge of good and evil, right and wrong. And it's very fascinating that, that all this just, you know, here I'm having an epiphany over here, but then I can relate it back to that scripture which says, thou shalt not eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Judge not, lest ye shall be judged. What you judge, with what ye meet, shall be met unto you. And if you think about it, these people that are ranting and raving, then they're getting nowhere. So it's because they're, she, because a person is, is ranting and raving and yelling and screaming, what's right, what's not right, instead of what is, they're actually causing it on themselves. Which goes back to we allow, create, or promote everything in our lives. So here was a person who is unwilling to read the statute, unwilling to read the law, unwilling. You know, she calls for help, but then they're unwilling to do the things that are necessary to get the result they want. So it all you see how it all kind of comes together. It all works together. It all makes the same thing. It's the same message over and over and over and over again. Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just as hard-headed as anyone else. Uh, the question is, at what time, at what point, do we stop doing the same thing over and over again expecting a different result? Or as my mentor says, there's, you know, stop. Just stop. You know, I just I cannot get over how simple that, that one word is. Stop. If what you're doing is not working, just stop. And that's kind of what I did. And I'm sharing that on one level, uh, on many levels, it's already made me feel better, made me feel stronger. And ironically, it broke something because I started reading on my own for me, not for other people. Um, and that's part of the reason I do this show, as I've mentioned before, is because I'm motivated every week to have something new to share with you, and that causes me to read and causes me to do things to help other people. And here I am finally starting to read for my own self and study for myself. Um, and uh, let me see, relatively changed perspective, um, feelings, I covered that. Wisdom, truth, relations, could, did that. If I can even read my notes, I scribbled them out here. Perspective did that. Oh, uh, yeah. And uh, people have always said to me, "Are you a glutton for punishment?" <laughs> um. And if you and and I, oh, that was the other thing I wanted to mention. Like, I, it also explains a lot of religion that people um, have not been taught by their parents. Uh, you know how to care for themselves, love for themselves. So as a result. They need to have something outside of themselves to believe in, and hopefully they'll begin to believe 
on something inside. And when I look at, um, you know, when I look at over the last few years and I see the people that I've quote unquote left behind, if you will, um, although again, that's only relative for me, I see that I've left them behind because I listen to their shows. I listen to the same people telling the same stuff or you know, they're grasping over here, they're grasping over there and they're still stuck where they are. They haven't won and they still have, uh, you know, they still got something to complain about. They still got something to, to, to bitch and moan and, and come up with some crazy new, you know, they get a new guest on for some crazy stuff that, that you know, might work um, and ends up not working. But it, it's the fad. It's the latest, you know, fashion or fad or the latest thing to do. And then I actually look back and go, well, wait a minute. During that period of time, I've actually accomplished things. And then I said, well, what did I do that allowed me to accomplish versus getting frustrated and, and being entertained? Um, uh, change, getting rid of what you do not like, perspective. I already talked about that. But, uh, all right, well, I think that, oh, and then I talked about forgiveness, that um, I'm willing to forgive and we all need to forgive. But it also says in Scripture that you need to ask for forgiveness. So, And this is a lesson I had with a very terrible situation way when I was in college where somebody kept doing things that were just absolutely horrible, but they kept coming back and going, you know, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And in actual fact, it was just to get me back again so they could turn around and abuse me again. And I finally sat there and I said, no. I said, that's it. Uh, I can forgive you, but I'm not, uh, not going to give you the opportunity to do it again. I had to put that up. And this is really what it comes down to, and that's what you have to say. You have to say no. And when you say no to the junk, you know, like I said, even though there's some good stuff, I quickly review it. I've got some really good stuff. But when you start looking at the stuff, even if it's true, there's nothing I can do about it, okay? Even if they intend to do martial law and they're just running down the hill and they, you know, they got the, 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 the uh, what is it, not the Jesuits, what do they call them? Um, I can't think of the name now. Anyway, the ones that they're, you know, claiming is the result of everything and it's, you know, they're greedy and they're mean and they're terrible. And ironically, when you see some people that are complaining about it, the moment that they get the one iota of power, what do they do with it? You know, they, they're worse than the ones that are in place. And if you haven't read um, Animal Farm, it's a real good example of exactly what happens. Um, that, um, you know, and there's a country western song about that the grass is always greener on the other side and, and so on and so forth. Uh, all right, I think that's enough of the knowledge, wisdom concept here uh, I want to quickly jump into in fact I'm going to play some of this recording if I can and there isn't there is one in f-bomb and I did the f-bomb because I wasn't thinking of playing it but uh, I think it's worthwhile just to hear it's about 10 minutes long maybe maybe a little bit longer I might fast forward some of it but I think you ought to just hear the whole thing and give you an idea of of what what uh, what my mentor says uh, he basically said to me to tell you that um, um, Elvis Presley Rico Man showed up and <laughs> we had a conversation. So just to share with you uh, what I listen to and I record it and I listen to it over and over again to replace the stupidity that's in my brain with, with stuff that makes perfect sense. So give me a second. Let me set it up here. Get this done. Just the morning, perhaps. Okay, well, this is a little bit of a concert quality. I'm going to put up with my student actors. 
actors for the rights to privation thing. And I brought the attorneys in on it that were involved in that all too and had them as solicited defendants. And and is it also the attorney, the district attorney that's defending these actions when I do uh, an injunction on them? He's out there defending them even though he can't even defend them. He doesn't have anything to defend them. In fact, he has notice, and I've now noticed the judge of these criminal acts, which they have no defense against. They still have not filed anything in contradiction to my, to my motions, which means they don't have anything to defend themselves with. So, but then you're set up for appeal then. Appeals all set up and ready there for them to make, make it clear that they never responded to any of your valid motions and did, did what went on and did what they did anyhow, which, of course, was a procedural due process violation, which denies you of a right. Is that better? Text me out. Go over into the federal court with it, but see, you're not going to get the lower court to understand that shit. These people are the dumbest people on the face of the earth in our system, okay? Right, I, yeah. That's why the lower courts are so fucked up. Yeah. You don't really try to win it like that there. Oh, I know. You're not procedural stuff and fuck with them so bad, maybe you get a judge that says, yeah, I'll look like an idiot on this, so dismiss it, or a prosecutor doesn't want to fuck with it. That's usually how I tend to get them to stop it at the bottom end, because I'm showing what they're doing so far off. I know it's just the procedures, you know. Yeah, they're gearing up to steal, you know, to try and steal two more properties from me. Even though the injunction is still technically in place, you know, and then they wanted a uh, status hearing on the on, on my my injunction, you know, which I was going to do motion to convert it into a uh, permanent injunction. That was the next thing I was going to do. For the well, you really you need, to, you need to be in federal court with it. The injunction ain't going to work very well. It ain't going to last very long. Right. Cops doing, like, like this court story remedy, cops pulling girls over these barmaids and waitresses are leaving this club at three. 
bills. I code, code enforcement, code enforcement, going to property that the city or county doesn't own. There's a color of law process. That's the ordinance violation of your property. We're talking about your violated abortion, cut your grass, or find you a bunch of money. That's the color of law violation. It's not their property. They have no business talking to you about your grass. It's not city property. That's the color of ordinance violation. And they're coming under color, under cloak of ordinance, claiming they can control you and violate your rights over it, you know? Right. Just like when they took Ted's car. That was over an ordinance. The ordinance had nothing to do with what the deal was either. That's, if they didn't have a right tag on it, that's only supposed to be one. It's, it's an abandoned vehicle. That's what they claim. That's the stats, the ordinance they were given were abandoned vehicles. Evidence would be if there's grass growing up in the frame, uh, engine parts laying around, stuff like that, no doors on it, and it doesn't have a valid tag. But they use that to conceal John's car. That's what they, because he didn't like the tag on it, they claim. And even when the traffic codes can make it clear, on have a valid tag on it, she's on the road to stay, so, and they don't have authority to push the traffic code stuff anyhow. So I'm going to make a big mess and replevin out of how they sold that car. Total color of law action, man, you know? Yeah, but even if it had weeds growing up around it and it was disassembled and everything else, it's on private property. It's your stuff. Yes, 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 yes. It's property, right. The abandoned vehicles, if it's in a park somewhere in the city back alley, that's when they can figure the vehicle's been abandoned. Right. If it has those conditions, tires are flat, uh, grass is growing up to the frame, and, uh, you know, I don't know, the distance of doors and has no valid tag on it, you know what I mean? Right. And as you said, they just think they can take the one little thing and apply that up in your car for it. You claim that's the reason they just come with a tow truck and take this vehicle and destroy it, do whatever they want with it, because, hey, they sent you a notice in the bell, and there's tons of case all saying notice in the bell is not notice, man. It is not due process, so that's enough to get a color of law action. Right. Sending this crap in the mail, claiming you got 20 days for the car or else, you know, and that's your due process. Yeah, it's the same thing with the property. Yeah, it's the same thing with the property taxes. They're saying, well, we sent you the stuff in the mail, and you know, you didn't pay it, so we're going to steal your property, and, and, and you know, we're going to, well, actually what they're doing is selling a counterfeit instrument, pretending to be something yeah. to do with your property. And like you said, pretty much, it's, yeah, it's a counterfeit forged instrument, and it was used in property, so it's an illegal tax deed, which holds no statute of limitations. The law cannot protect an illegal act from its destruction. That's what I love about those. You go back 20 years and get the property back because it was a, uh, it, it was illegal. It didn't apply to the property they acquired it to. There was no taxes applicable to the property at the time they applied the taxes to create the tax certificate. Go on down the list once you read the tax code to understand the process. Yeah, particularly the one in Oklahoma. All right. I can see I'm losing people, so obviously you guys can't hear it real, real well. Um, and he talks very, very fast. Uh, I know what he's saying because I, you know, have an idea of what he's what he's actually talking about there. But to me, that's the meat. I just wanted to give you a glimpse of the kind of conversations that I have and how I get hammered. Um, you know, and, and that's that's somebody who I consider a, a true friend that will hammer you when you're wrong and, and and correct you real quick. And there's just you know there's no there's no leeway. It is what it is. It's not what it's not. And it's just that simple. And um, and I try to slow down. I know I speak fast, but you now you've heard somebody who speaks faster than I do. Let me do this real quick. Um, and I see that, you know, people going on and off of here. So hopefully, um, you know, maybe the recording isn't all that great. Um, and hopefully you'll be able to hear it later on. But what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to read uh, from the 421983 uh, let me see what I got here for you. And it, where's this? It? I've been reading so much because obviously, you know, you need to have it laid out. Um, 
Oh, again, um, mentioning perspective. Um, I actually got this document, which I was told by the person who shared it with me that this was the judge's handbook that they were using to um, stop um, or screw uh, people out of the 42-1983 deprivation of rights suits. And I actually labeled it that um, and um, put it in the, uh, and and saved it under a name. Have this. Where's that? Oh, I see where it is. Okay. And um, when I actually started reading it, it was ironically enough, I was like so enthralled because to me it was like the perfect handbook of knowing all the elements that you need in order to to win because you know what the judges are looking for. So again, it's a person's perspective. The person who gave it to me was all upset and angry because here it is a conspiracy that they're. Uh, you know, trying to screw people or deprive people or get rid of these 42 1983s. And yet when I go read it from my perspective, I see that, oh, my gosh, look at this. It's all um, um, it's all of the stuff that I need to properly do a 42-1983. I know, and when I looked at it, I didn't see any nastiness in there at all. Um, I saw all of the elements that, were, you know, that you needed. I'm going to give you a quick example. Uh, let me see if I can have that one. I want to do it here. It goes along, and I have another one called Instruction for Civil Rights, civil rights Claims Under a 1983. Um, but uh, here, let me see if I can find it. This is a silly thing. Okay, I've got the history. The other thing, too, is I have the history uh, of it, which I need to uh, put this up on the website. I never had time because I got on a conversation, so I apologize. I will post this on the website, um, AmericanReconstructionProject.com. So you can access it. Um, I will put all these four documents up there. One, three of them are in PDF, and one of them is in Word. The one in Word is a very short one. I'm going to read it to you in a minute. Um, and uh, this one has the historical background of the nature, jury instructions, elements of claim, functional rules, seating of jurisdictions. Elements of the 83, uh, claim, function, functional role, pleadings, claims, federal court jurisdiction, subject matter jurisdiction, Rooker-Feldman doctrine, supplemental jurisdiction, removal jurisdiction, uh, state court jurisdiction, uh, section 1983, plaintiff's 21, persons entitled to bring suit, standing constitutional rights enforceable under 1983, Generally, selected constitutional rights, due process, procedural due process, two-step approach, property, liberty, prisoners' rights cases, liberty, defamation, procedural safeguards, uh, de substantive due process claim, uh, one shocks and conscience, shocks the conscience, two professional judgment, uh, Dehaney, D.E. Shaney, Dehaney. And affirmative duty cases, but, and actually, there's quite a bit I was reading about um, the um, communities and so on. It's uh, can get a little bit confusing there, but if you have if you have a case and get over that, that's pretty easy to get over once you start reading it. Use of force by government officials: one, unreasonable force claims under the Fourth Amendment; 
Tennessee versus Garner. Now, I just read you the opening uh, uh, opening parts of this, and I want to read this other part real fast to you just to give you an idea. This is, uh, come on, where is it? Uh, I relabeled it instead of the judge's uh, BS book to deprive people of their rights. I actually relabeled it now because of my perspective, and I call it the judge's workbook. Everything you need to know, everything you need for a twenty-two, uh, forty-three, nineteen eighty-three suit. So I'll read it again. It's, this is another. This is the other book. Numbering of sections, nineteen eighty-three. These may be instructions to the judge, um, but let me just give you a quick brief what I'm talking about. What's in here? Uh, plaintiff is suing. Uh, plaintiff is, is suing under Section 1983, a civil rights law passed by Congress that provides a remedy to persons who have been deprived of their federal, in, in brackets, constitutional brackets, statutory rights under color of state law. And I don't know if you heard it in the recording, but after reading all this, I have a whole different view of what it means to be under color of law. I used to think that under color of law meant um, that you had to have a had to have a statute or law that they were misusing or misapplying. Now that obviously is, but that is not uh, a necessary necessary element. Uh, under color of law means that anyone acting as if they have authority, as we as in the recording we heard that. Uh, we're talking about princes, the assessors. They don't carry the badge. They don't have a uniform, and yet they are an officer of the state. And they're clearly sending you things through the mail that they have no business sending sending to you. Trying, you know, in the process of uh, to extort money from you under a uh, and violating of your right to uh, to due process as well as to your peaceful enjoyment of your property. Uh, so it, 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 I have a totally different ne- definition of what it means color of law. Or under the pretense, it's another way I would say it, they're pretending as if what they're doing is 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 either a lawful activity or that they are authorized to do what they're doing. You see what I'm saying? That, for instance, the 14th says no state shall make or enforce. And I've, met, and I've gone over that uh, a few times, that even if there is no law, which you remember in, in the South, that which, which this was addressing, that they these were unwritten laws. Again, they didn't have them in writing, but they were enforcing them anyway. Just like with the, with the driver's license, if we were, if the recording was good enough, I'll see if I can do something about that. But later on, we actually talked about that. The reason why people don't don't win a constitutional uh, uh, suit, you know, that the, the the requiring you to have a driver's license unconstitutional, because there is no requirement, there is no statute, there is no law that requires the average everyday man who is traveling to have a license. So if you're going to bring an action saying, oh, well, they're, they're, uh, you know, they're, this is an unconstitutional law, they're like, well, you can't win because there is no law on the books. But are they enforcing a law that's not on the books? And that's what the second half uh, of the 14th, I believe, is saying, is that shall not make or enforce. So if they make a law, it's unconstitutional. Then it's an unconstitutional law that they've done. And the second part is even if it's not written down, it's not in law, so that you can't point to it to, to, to raise that issue, they are still, in, they are still enforcing a law that's not written. <clears throat> and that's a, uh, 
a deprivation of rights suits as well because and that's where you go to the word policy that you can show that even though they haven't written it down, it has become a policy of the state actors um, to enforce a law that is not on the books. And that's, that's where it is, and that's color of law. It's the, under the, pre, the way I would phrase it, under the pretense of law, that they're acting with authority that they really don't have. Um, that's probably the best way um, uh, to do it. And in the conversation, he mentioned that he, actually, he brought in all of the actors, including the idiot that went and bought the, the counterfeit instrument, which they sold at tax sale because it can't be anything else. There's, there's been no due process. They don't own the property. They don't have any authority. It's not theirs. They don't have any say-so over it whatsoever, and they're pretending that they do. And somebody who comes along should have known that a, a counterfeit piece of paper that says tax deed doesn't mean you know, that there's been a transfer. Go to the land records. You see there's no transfer that went from the uh, original owner over to the state or that they had engaged in some sort of taxable activity uh, that, that they were liable for doing and that there was a proper lien put on the property. And anybody knows when you put a lien on the property, it does not give you ownership of the property. You just put a lien on it so that when and if you decide that you're going to use or sell it for equity, and remember we've talked about this too, is that the uh, ownership of property does not have to do with money. It has a portion that there was, and that's why it says $20 and other good consideration. The consideration is, because think about it, there, there clearly was ownership of land. That's where they talk about the laws of nature. There was clearly a, you know, in a quote-unquote ownership of land, if you will, that, hey, this is my area, stay out, uh, even before there was quote-unquote money, okay? And, and there's been quote-unquote money or means of exchange uh, or representations of value for a long time. I mean, in some societies, puka shells. You know, you had puka shells where, well, puka shells, you can go make necklaces uh, by, the, by the millions on the beach. Uh, then you have the tally stick. Look up the tally stick. That was when uh, one of the best systems that was out there was the tally stick. And they even had what was called colonial script. And colonial script was just a piece of paper that somebody wrote, and it was based upon, and that's why you have these deprivation, uh, the, uh, the uh, defamation of character and uh, character assassination because a man's word was his bond. Now, today, people's word means nothing, and they don't have honor, they don't have respect, they don't have decency. We know this, but the law still has it for obvious reasons because it was your family name that was important. Uh, because that was considered the business name, if you were well known. Um, so, and that's why you had the family seal that you would take the wax and you would seal it. Um, you know, this is all the business, and this is why history is so good. Because once you realize how things all came about, uh, where we are today, will begin to show you how little sense what what's going on in our society it makes no sense whatsoever, and why it's so convoluted. So, I wanted to read a little bit here. Um, these are the notes, and a lot of times the notes are real powerful. Number one, this is a, a, a citing. Reference, uh, referring to the parties by their names rather than solely as plaintiff and defendant can improve jurors' comprehension. This is a note. In these instructions, bracketed references to plaintiff or defendant indicate places where the name of the party should be inserted. So this is, certainly sounds more like an instruction manual or a how-to uh, than it does uh, a judge or judge's handbook of how to deprive people of their rights. Number two reference, in these instructions, references to action under color of state law 
are meant to include actions under color of territorial law, e.g., and then it gives uh, Eddie versus Virgin Island Water and Power Authority. Uh, so it gives all these instructions, and it gives you case law, and it's wonderful. Um, I'm really beginning to like case law. There's references starting to make more sense to me. It's a new type of language. But the more you speak it, the more you, you get it, the more sense it makes, and it, it begins to make perfect sense that why it's necessary because you want to do less speaking. You don't want to, like like I've done for so many years, oh, blah, 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 and I make sense, and da, 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 and this makes sense. But here you're referring to case law. It's already established. Um, it hasn't been overturned. So you, that's why you use it. So you don't have to do so much writing. And in fact, um, he will tell you. He says, I do very little writing. He says, I mostly just do cut and paste. Um, and that's really what you want in your documents. Uh, is to treat the territories and other officials and employees the same as state and their officials and employees. So, you know, these are the notes. Let me burden of proof. Here we go. Here we go. 4.2. Burden of proof model. Provide, let me see. Uh, first, we have the comments. Provide instructions 1.0 on burden of proof modified if necessary and discussed in the comment below. Comment. The plaintiff bears the burden of proof on the elements of a Section 1983 claim. See Groman versus Township of Manalapan, Manalapan, uh, and that was the Third Circuit in 1995. The court can use Instruction 1.10 to, to apprise the jury of this burden. Where there is a jury question on the issue of qualified immunity, some additional instructions on burdens may occasionally be necessary. Although the defendant has the burden of pleading the the defendant, the defense of qualified immunity, see Gomez versus Toledo, Thomas versus Independence. The Supreme Court has not definitively established who bears the burden of proof with respect to those defenses. Construing the opinion of the court, quote, to leave open the issue of the burden of persuasion as opposed to the burden of pleading with respect to the defense of qualified immunity. The Third Circuit has stated that the defendant bears the defendant bears the the defendant is usually you know the the public servant the defendant bears the burden of proof on qualified immunity so they have to prove you know what you're accusing them they then have to prove that they have qualified immunity defendant has burden of established uh, entitlement to qualified immunity Kopech versus Tate. Uh, and that's in 2004. So, and then another one, two, and uh, Beers Capital versus Wetzel, uh, and that's 2001. Carnes versus Skrutsky, Skrutsky, S-K-R-U-T-S-K-I, Skrutsky. Uh, then they have Stone King versus Bradford. Uh, Ryan versus Burlington County. There's tons of them here. 1988. However, some other Third Circuit opinion suggests that the burden of proof regarding qualified immunity may vary with the element in question. So it's kind of like letting you know that it's not set in stone that they have to prove it. It has to do with, well, what, what are the elements in question? Uh, we talk about elements, there it is. Uh, C. Sharp versus Johnson, noting that, quote, parties should generally assert affirmative defenses early in the litigation, end quote. But finding no abuse of discretion in trial court's permission to assert qualified immunity defense, a trial where the defense had been pleaded 
and where the failure to present the defense by motion prior to trial was uh, made sense due to the need for the fact development and did not prejudice the plaintiff. So there are your elements right there that, you know, even though it is an affirmative defense, apparently there are times when it's not necessary for them to plead it until such time as the evidence begins to come forth. And then it would, it would, they, you, the, the evidence through discovery would be shown that, hey, wait a minute, I had a qualified immunity. Uh, example, the court has stated, quote, where a defendant asserts a qualified immunity defense in a motion for summary judgment, the plaintiff bears the initial, initial burden of showing that the defendant's conduct violated some clearly established, excuse me, let me repeat. For a summary judgment, the plaintiff bears the initial burden of showing that the defendant's conduct violated some clearly established statutory or constitutional right. So yes, we, we have the original burden of proof there. Only the plaintiff carries this initial burden must the defendant then demonstrate that no genuine issue of material fact remains as to the object, reliable, reasonableness of the defendant's belief in the lawfulness of his actions. So there you have it, uh, that, that, that he has uh, the, the defendant's belief in the lawfulness of his actions. So his immunity is based upon whether he can show uh, reasonably, anyway, that, that he had a reason to believe uh, that what he was, his actions were lawful. Uh, but that is not to be mistaken. That's why you will see knew or should have known. And as I read the case uh, last last week, we saw several times where the plaintiff stated that it was the policy of the state that caused this person to act in an unofficial that they were acting as an official in an official capacity, but what they were doing was, in fact, unlawful. Therefore, the state uh, did not properly train them, and that con was considered to be a gross negligence. Uh, it would cause a deprivation of rights. Uh, quote, although the officials claiming qualified immunity have the burden of pleading and proof, dot, 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 a plaintiff who seeks damages for violation of constitutional rights may overcome the defendant, the defendant official's qualified immunity only by showing that those rights were clearly established at the time of the conduct and issue. Now that is fairly easy if you know if you can actually quote it. When it sits there and says if two more persons aspire to intro press threaten or intimidate, the only thing you need to do is show that, that there was two or more persons that were acting in a capacity and you need to show that that, that, they, that they were you know uh, uh, injured, threatening or, or intimidating or impressing you in some way and that you were damaged. Um, or, as it says, damage in this case is to even be even to be oppressed or threatened. So you have that, and, and if you know the Constitution, which clearly is a prohibition, and the one that I'm, I'm going to repeat because I need to, it needs to be heard, is over and over and over again in Article, if I can remember it, I think it's Article 3, Section 2, the last paragraph, where are my glasses? Make sure because I haven't. I, I, yeah, it is uh, Article 3, Section 2, the last paragraph. Listen to what this says. And, and I'm going to make this point because I've never heard anyone make these points, and I don't want to repeat what you, what you can get elsewhere. I want to bring up some new stuff that I think is And I think this is super, super powerful. It's just my opinion. In fact, I wrote a, I wrote a paper on this just the other night. Um, the trial of all crimes except 
in cases of impeachment shall be by jury. So is this, does this have to do with the one and only exception? Now, I've mentioned this many times, and I love repeating this so people can really hear how powerful this is. If it specifies one exception, it clearly indicates that they understand the word exception and that there is only one exception. Remember, that which is not included is expressly excluded. And when they actually have an exception, it, it's even more compounded that they didn't mistake anything because they included one exception and none others. All right? And listen to the wording. It doesn't say in most criminal trials, in many criminal trials. It, it's, it, it doesn't say, well, in criminal trials where, 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 there, where there's uh, you know, an injury or a criminal trial, it, no, it says in all, 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 in all, in the trial of all crimes, except in cases of impeachment, shall be my jury. Now, why is this so important? Why am I harping on this? Because it doesn't take into account anywhere your waiving of your right to trial number. In other words, it completely eliminates that as an argument. It doesn't matter if you stand and jump up and down and say, I waive my right to a trial by jury. I don't want a trial by jury. I don't want a trial by jury. I don't want a trial by jury. I wave, I wave, I wave. I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want it. They cannot deprive anybody because it is in order. The word shall is in order. It is a must do for them. Okay? This is what you, you got to say this. When it says shall, it is a must. It is a do. There's no leeway. There is no exception. It doesn't say uh, in the trial of all, of all crimes except um, in cases of impeachment and where the accused has waived their trial by jury. It does not say that. It says in all, okay, in the trial of all crimes. So that means to me very simply anyone who's in jail right now or has been convicted by a judge and there was no trial by jury. It's void ab initio. It cannot be anything else other than that. Point blank. Because there's no provision for them to do otherwise. And in fact, not only is there no provision for them to do otherwise, it is clearly restricted. This restricts them. And remember that the judges, both of the superior and inferior uh, courts, uh, shall be bound uh, by the Constitution. Okay, it's very simple. And even then, and then it goes on and says, and the judges in every state shall be bound thereby. And also it says uh, the executive and judicial officers, uh, both of the United States and the several states, shall be bound by oath and affirmation to support this Constitution. And, I mean, all you need is one. I don't need all this other stuff. All I need is this one statement right here. Look, I'm going to just give you, even still, if, if you didn't believe it the first time, uh, you go to the amendments again. And what does the amendment then say? Let me find it again. I mean, it's really cool. When you, when you learn this document, this is why I believe that the, in all their wisdom, they said that they must swear it up to support it. They're required to know. That's why new or should have known. In order to take the office itself, you not only do you have to be qualified for the office, which is to know the Constitution, but you actually swear an oath to support it, which means that if you read the Constitution and you don't like what's in it, and you have any inkling that you might not support it, don't take the office. Okay? Very simple stuff here. So uh, in, here it is, amendment number VI. 
I, which is six. It says the following. Again, in all criminal prosecutions, there is no exception in this one. The accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury of the state and district where the crime shall have been committed. You see, this is very simple, uh, uh, very simple. Now, when it comes to a civil suit, Article uh, uh, Amendment 7 says what? In the suits at common law where the value in controversy shall exceed $20, the right to trial by jury shall be preserved. Again, there's that word, shall be preserved. So here you can see that there's a difference, that in the civil, your right to trial by jury shall be preserved. That's an order to them. It's up to you as to whether you want to uh, uh, accept it, use it, and enforce it, the trial by jury in a civil case or not. And there you have a choice. But they must preserve, which means, and when I went to the Maryland Code, ironically, in the criminal code, it goes to this whole nonsense about waiving your trial by jury. I'm raising this for an issue because I think this is a huge issue. How is it possible that they can have the criminal statutes and case law discussing how a person who did not demand a trial by jury waived their right to a trial by jury? It doesn't matter if you waive your right to a trial by jury in a criminal case. They have no authority to try you in any other manner other at all, other than by trial by jury. You see what I'm saying? This is super powerful, folks. Really, really think about it. Um, uh, you know, and this is, this is, you know, it's not new. It's written in here. I just haven't heard people address this issue, and I really think it needs to be addressed. Um, because, okay, so here's another one. If you're bringing a 42-1983 suit, when you go in there and you say the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures, well, clearly if they're taking your property uh, without a warrant, without, and again, what is the definition of a warrant? And no warrant shall issue, but on probable cause, and that probable cause must be supported by oath or affirmation, and that oath or affirmation must what? Particularly describing the place to be searched, not your whole house, the specific place and the persons or things to be seized. So they have to list, now they can't say your whole damn computer and your hard drive. No, what file is on that hard drive? Okay, what file is it that they're looking for? They can't go willy-nilly looking through all your stuff and, and, and checking everything out. And again, it has to have an affidavit, which means somebody has to have first-hand knowledge first. They can't just get a search warrant coming in. Oh, well, look what we found. Oh, look what we found. Look what we found. None of that stuff is admissible because they found it and it wasn't listed. They could only go after the things that were listed. And you begin to see how television can be so corrupting. Because you see all of these movies uh, all the time uh, where you see, you know, the, the people, you know, breaking the doors down without a warrant and picking locks. And, I mean, my favorite show happens to be NCIS. But I, I'm writing them, you know, I'm writing them letters. And I go, look, you know, I can't watch the show because what you're doing is you're brainwashing people to believe that you guys can kick in doors and you can, 
pick the locks willy-nilly. No, you cannot. There is no provision for it. In fact, you are prohibited from it. You see, this is what people don't understand. They, these public servants can only take an action which is prescribed in law. Very different. You and I can do anything we want so long as we do not trespass upon anyone else's right. But the government agents, the officers, and all those other public servants, they cannot do anything that they're not specifically authorized to do, which means whatever they're doing, they have to be able to show you the actual law and enacted statute. It clearly provides them with the authority to do that. And that's what I know the recording was bad, but if you listen to it, basically what he'll say over and over and over again is there's no provision in law for what they're doing. If you're not engaged in some sort of uh, for-profit uh, taxable activity, which has to do with making a profit, and that there is a citus, which is a clear, specific definition of the activity engaged in that, that they can then tax you on. See, it's always going to be the same thing over and over and over again. When you get this, it's very, very simple. It's, you know, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And if everything else is a lie, everything else is a lie, as I'm reading it to you, okay? This is what the law says. So I think it's very important that people understand that even if you could, I don't believe, and I started saying, I think it's a couple of years ago, like I said, I don't think you could waive your right to trial by jury. And then I started getting strong. I said, you can't waive your trial by jury. And now I see what I'm really saying and what I really need to say is what? It doesn't matter. It's neither here nor there whether you waive your right to trial by jury. And even if you demand not to have a trial by jury, they have no place to go. They cannot do anything else because that is what they're required to do by the word shall. And here the judges, both of the Supreme and the Imperial Court, shall hold their offices during good behavior. So if they're engaging in activity and, and uh, 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 having a trial or hearing or whatever it is on a criminal, on any, on any crimes or any criminal charges, and it's not a jury, he's not acting in good behavior, which means he doesn't hold his office. This stuff is real simple once you get it. And I think you can apply that to almost all your public servants. When they are not acting within the authority of their office, they're acting outside um, or ultra-virus of the office, which means they're engaged in some sort of criminal act. That's why the three questions came out of this. Is it true that you are obligated and duty-bound to obey any lawful orders? Yes. Is it also true that you're duty-bound and obligated, in other words, duty-bound by the duty of the office as well as obligated by contract, they say you have two things there. Obligated by contract uh, to disobey any unlawful order. And the unlawful order, it doesn't matter whether it's them giving it to themselves or their supervisor giving it to them or whoever it is. It doesn't matter whether they're training. Okay? It's the, it's the whole concept of obeying and disobeying. So it's also true that you're duty-bound and obligated to disobey any unlawful order. Yes. Next question. How are you supposed to know if you're engaged in a lawful order or a crime if you do not know what the law says? Not what your boss interpreted it as, not what somebody else interpreted it as. What does it actually say? That is what could have used in court. And as you heard earlier, uh, the lower courts don't know any of this, and you're not going to win in the lower courts, and that's why we have to go to the higher courts. Um, so... Um, it's pretty simple. Uh, it's pretty pretty uh, pretty laid out there. Let me let me go back to um, what I was reading here. 
A distinction between the burden of proof as to the constitutional violation and the burden of proof as to the objective reasonableness makes sense in the light of the structure of Section 1983 litigation. To prove her claim, the plaintiff must prove the existence of a constitutional violation. Qualified immunity becomes relevant only if the plaintiff carries the burden. Accordingly, the plaintiff should bear the burden of proving the existence of a constitutional violation in connection with a qualified immunity issue as well. However, it would it would accord with decisions such as COPEC, K-O-P-E-C, uh, and in parentheses, and it would not contravene decisions such as Sherwood and the parentheses to place the burden on the defendant to prove that the reasonable officer would not have known under the circumstances Conduct was illegal, and if you listen, uh, listen. If we could play the recording and you could hear it, you would hear. Actually, he addresses that issue. Is that you just simply need to show that they knew or should have known. It was part of their job to know it. Um, uh, a let me see. A noted comment. Four point two. A jury question concerning qualified immunity will arise only. All right. Going on. Question one: Whether the defendant violated a constitutional right. Two, whether the right was clearly established. And three, whether it would have been clear to a reasonable official under the circumstances that the conduct was unlawful. The issue of evidentiary burden of proof indicates only the first and third questions. Okay? Uh, reference five, there is language in the um, estate of Smith versus Marosco. 430F, uh, 3rd Circuit, 2005, which may be perceived as being in tension with COPEC's statement that the defendant has the burden of proof on qualified immunity. In the in Moscow, the Court of Appeals held that defendants were entitled to qualified immunity on the plaintiff's state-created danger claim because the court, quote, concluded that the Smiths cannot show that a reasonable officer would have recognized that his conduct was conscious hyphen shocking, end quote. Remember, we read that before. While this language, now, just because their conscience is not shocked does not mean that it should not be conscious shocking, okay? If somebody doesn't have a conscience, then it wouldn't be conscious shocking, okay? So you don't need to prove that, that that particular person has a conscience and it should have been conscious shocking to them. All you need to do generally is prove, and the easiest way to do it is simply say, hey, it's written right here in the Constitution. It's written in the laws of the United States that they knew or should have known by the office that they carry because under the office they're required to know the law. Okay? So it's pretty simple. While this language can be read as contemplating that the plaintiffs have the burden of persuasion, it should be noted that the court was not focusing on a factual dispute but rather on the clarity of the case law at the time of the relevant events. Uh, CID 154, stressing that the relevant question was, quote, whether the law, as it existed in 1999, gave the troopers, quote, fair warning that their actions were unconstitutional, end quote. So when you, when you can show that the laws are very clear and not ambiguous, such as when it says that you're taxing things, when it says that they can only tax in accordance with a citizen, there's no way that the officers that are trying to uh, assess your property can, when you get a hold of the assessment, assessment sheet and know in there are they quoting the, the uh, CITES 
that they're that that as the cities that they're using as uh, as a percentage to to, to um, 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 assess the taxes on. You see what I'm saying? Let me kind of screw that up. Let me try it again. An officer who is a tax assessor, and the law clearly states that they can only assess in accordance with a given citizen, and they fail to reveal or show or use the citizen that they are applying to the to the property, the action that uh, that is clearly defined in the citizen. If they fail to do that, then how the hell are they assessing in the first place? You see how simple that is. So when you ask them, what citus were you using when you assessed the property, and they look at you stupid, and they cannot answer the question, and obviously you do a public information request on that. Okay, it's another clever way instead of the trace way. I'm learning more and more and more. You want to be more uh, stealthy about your stuff. Well, what citus did you use, and where's a copy of the assessment sheet that shows the citus that you used to assess the property? Because when you look at the citizens, you'll see there's many different commercial activities, and you'll see that the different citizens actually appraise, assess things differently, which makes sense, okay? And I, I covered this before. I'll do it real quick. That, for instance, if you're engaged in something that is a high-polluting activity, then the citizens would show that you have a higher tax rate because you have to be managed with a greater degree of scrutiny to ensure that you're not polluting and endangering other people. If you just have a simple shop that has lathes in it, you're just trimming wood and you're making furniture, and there's not a whole lot of pollution going on, then you don't need to be charged a great deal of money because there's not a whole lot of protections that are necessary for the state to protect the people. You see, it all makes sense. Again, I wrote in this article of how things make sense. The law makes sense when you look at it properly. So once again, if they are not showing you the citus as required by the law, and they look at you stupid, don't even know what the definition of the word citus is, clearly there's no way that they could be taxing your property in accordance with a citus, could they? So there's your fate complete right there. You don't need to there, – there's no immunity. Well, I was acting in, in my – no, you weren't because your job clearly states otherwise. It says that you shall only assess in accordance with and then the tax – collector is only to tax in accordance with the citizen. So he, neither one of them had the elements necessary. He's like due process. There's no court case. There's no, uh, uh, you know, no proper lien or perfected lien, and there's no court case. There's nothing to show. How on earth did they then, what is a transfer of the property, how on earth can they then show and, and say that there was due process of law? Those elements are missing. And they're always missing because they know that they don't have the elements necessary to do due process. That's why they simply skip it. And the one, this goes back to why I'm, this show has been turned into us knowing the law and the statutes in your state because once you know the law and you know the statutes, you now know what they are supposed to know. So if you don't know what they're supposed to know, how can you point it out and say, hey, they have failed to do this as required by law. They have failed to do that if you don't know the law. You see how simple this is. It makes perfect sense now. Four years ago, get me reading the law and statutes. Forget it. That's the enemy's territory. Statutes are terrible. That's horrible. No, because that's what they're bound to. And when you know the laws, you know the statutes, and you can see that they have not done the due process in accordance with their own damn laws, 
the law when I say their own, there are laws upon them, but it's their laws which they're supposed to abide by. It's the only thing that gives them authority or power to act. So anything else other than acting within those powers and authorities is ultra-bias virus, which is uh, unlawful, and if it deprives you of any right secured by the constitutional laws of the United States or the states themselves, then you have a 42-1983 deprivation of rights suit. You see, it begins to be much easier understood. Um, the court should submit the question of historical fact to the jury by means of special interrogatories. The court can then resolve the question of qualified immunity by reference to the jury's determination of the historical facts. Many questions of historical fact may be relevant both to the existence of a constitutional violation and to the question of objective reliableness as to those questions. The court should instruct the jury that the plaintiff has the burden of proof. Other questions of historical fact, however, may be relevant only to the question of objective reasonableness. As to those questions, if any of the court should, any, if any, the court should instruct the jury that the defendant has the burden of proof. Um, and I, I, you can resist or you can say, okay, I got the burden of proof, but that's not hard to do. It's right here. Uh, section 4.3, elements of claim. Plaintiff must prove both the following elements by the preponderance of the evidence. First, defendant acted under color of state law. Second, while acting under color of state law, defendant deprived plaintiff of a federal constitutional or statutory right. I will now give you more detail on action under color of state law, after which I will tell you the element, the elements plaintiff must prove to establish the violation of his or her federal constitutional or statutory rights. Comment, quote, by the plain terms of subsection 1983, Two, and only two allegations are required in order to state a cause of action under this statute. Now, even though there's only a quick note of my own here, even though they're stating that there's only two in order to get it going, essentially state a cause of action under the statute, there is obviously more than that required to follow through. So be aware of that. Don't sit there and go, well, I'm only required to do two. Well, yeah, but within those two, there could be an awful lot of subsections within those twos, okay? So just be aware of that. And when there, there's a difference between filing an action and having a necessity, uh, the, the elements necessary to actually file or to, to cause an action to be taken up by the court. It's not anything near what's required for you to follow through and actually win your case. First, the plaintiff must allege that some person has deprived him of a federal right. Okay. Second, he must allege that the person who has deprived him of that right acted under color of state or territorial law, and that's Gomez versus Toledo. Uh, also, see Groman versus Township of Manana, M-A-N-A-L-A-P-A-N, Manalapan, Manalapan. Um, in parentheses, quote, a prima facie case under subsection. 1983 requires a plaintiff to demonstrate, one, a person deprived him of a federal right, and two, the person who deprived him of that right acted under color of state or territorial law. Now, I'm getting here in a second where it actually lays this out where I, you know, here and I get more into that. What do they mean by color of law, color of law? Okay. Some authorities include in the elements of instruction a statement that the 
statement must prove that the defendant's acts or omissions were intentional. It says some authority. Ninth Circuit Instructions 11.1, it is not clear that the elements instruction is the best place to address the defendant's state of mind. Section 18, uh, 1983 itself contains no state of mind requirement independent of the necessary to state a violation of the underlying federal right. In any subsection 1983 suit, however, the plaintiff must establish a state of mind required to prove the underlying violation. Board of County uh, Commissioners of Bryant County, uh, Oklahoma versus Brown, and that was in 1997. So there, you can see there's a little they're trying to weasel out there. Uh, and then uh, Jordan versus Fox Rothschild, O'Brien and Frankel, um, noting that Section 1983 does not include any mens re requirement in its text, but Supreme Court has plainly read into a state of mind requirement specific to the particular federal right underlying the 1983 claim. So this I actually highlighted because this is an area what I call sticky. It's sticky area. And whenever you have a sticky area, that means that they can bog you down, the defense can bog you down. And why is it important to know that you can ignore it, which is the way I used to think, well, that's sticky ground, I'm just going to make it go away by ignoring it. Knowing that this is exactly what they're going to go at, they're going to go at your weaknesses. So the manual is actually here, and it's telling you that this is what you need to pay attention to. Wherever you have sticky ground, you need to address it, I hit them hard so they don't even waste their time trying to bog you down with that area. That's what it says to me now, years later, right? Before, it was an area you, you ignored and hoped it went away and that nobody else would raise it. Now, I look at it totally different. It's forewarned. It's forearmed. So we know that this is a sticky area that stays in mind. So you need to address that, okay? Uh, ba 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 no mens rea, but the, but the Supreme Court has plainly read into the state of mind requirement specific to the particular federal right underlying in 1983 claim. Because the mens rea requirement will depend on the nature of the constitutional violation. Again, if it's clearly spelled out right there, it's clearly spelled out they have an obligation and requirement, and it should be obvious. Okay, when you're coming on the pro, when you're coming onto somebody's private property without a warrant, and you're taking somebody's car just because uh, uh, some state statute says, well, you don't have tags on it, we can go take it from you. Clearly, they should know, because the foundational principles is that the only reason government instituted in the first place is to secure our rights. And they should damn well know that, that what the whole Revolutionary War was about, uh, which was because uh, you wanted to have your property to do it as you please and be left alone. Otherwise, why would we have the Revolutionary War in the first place? Okay. Everyone was, was became a sovereign unto themselves that they were as a king. This was why it goes back to the unanimous declaration, which says we hold this truth to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by the creator with certain unalienable rights. That got rid of the whole concept that, oh, well, there's certain people that are better than others. And that's why I mentioned that you might want to read Animal Farm because they, you will see that in Animal Farm, after they've gotten the pigs are now the administrators, and pretty soon, somebody, nobody else needed to learn to read, so they didn't teach anyone to read, okay? And as a result, but there was only one person who could barely read, and they noticed that they had changed, they had put the, their quote-unquote new constitution where it said that all animals are equal, and they had crossed it out and said uh, all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. And you begin to see the slow 
slide that we've gotten to today. So it's an excellent book. It's a very short one. It's probably no more than 40 or 50 pages long, but it's if that. And it's, it's, it's an excellent read. Um, and that was written quite a while ago, by the way. It was required reading in college. Um, where was I? Uh, because the mens rea requirement will depend on the nature of the constitutional violation, the better course is to address the requirement in the instructions on the specific violation at issue in the case. Some authorities include, as a third element, a requirement that the defendant cause the plaintiff's damages. Not necessarily, but that's what they, they have to show. There has to be a nexus again. Fifth Circuit Civil Instruction 10.1, 11th Circuit Civil Instructions 2.2. It is true that the plaintiff cannot recover compensatory damages without showing that the defendant's violation of the plaintiff's federal rights caused those damages. See Instructions 4.8.1, Infra. Uh, it would be misleading, however, to consider that an that an element of the plaintiff's claim, uh, federal right, then the plaintiff is entitled to an award of nominal damages, even if the plaintiff cannot prove actual damages. Let me reread that, what they're actually saying here. If the plaintiff proves that the defendant, acting under color of state law, violated the plaintiff's federal right, then the plaintiff is entitled to an award of nominal damages, even if the plaintiff cannot prove actual damages. If the Section 1983 claim asserts a conspiracy to deprive a plaintiff of civil rights, and there's a reference for that, we'll read that in a minute, additional instructions will be necessary. To do, quote, in order to prevail on a conspiracy claim under 1983, a plaintiff must prove that persons acting under color of state law conspire to deprive them of a federally protected right. And that's uh, Marchese, M-A-R-C-H-E-S-E, versus uh, Unstead. Uh, 110F supplement to the 361, and that was in the year 2000. So these are actually fairly young cases. In parentheses, quote, to state a Section 1983 conspiracy claim, a plaintiff must allege, one, but here you go, the existence of a conspiracy involving state action, and two, a deprivation of civil rights in furtherance of the conspiracy by a party to the conspiracy. Now I'll make my own note there. It seems to me, and I haven't researched this, but I'm just going to throw it out. It's my own note, again, not theirs. And once again, I forgot to do the, um, what do you call it, disclaimer. We are not attorneys. We do not give legal advice or any of that stuff. If you want an attorney, you can go in the yellow book and find an at-turn-knee, which is one that is at law, not in law, one that turns the law upside down in order to bring people to their knees. That's what an attorney is, okay? Um and that includes those guys in the red, in the black robes. So um, this is not advice. These are just my my perspectives. I was going to add to that and say um, the uh, civil rights. Let me. I lost what I said now. A deprivation of civil rights in furtherance of the. Oh, if and this is my opinion again that I believe that if you can show. Like, for instance, in the property taxes, the state stands to benefit that by and through this conspiracy, even though the state actors themselves, the only thing that they benefit is by keeping their jobs, uh, uh, by continuing to act in a manner that they're basically told to do. But you can show that the state or the county is going to benefit, which they clearly do, by the billions and trillions of dollars in unlawful taxes every year. I believe that that is sufficient enough 
that show not only intent, but also which is which shows the, the mindset. But there's clearly the existence of a conspiracy because without the activities uh, and the the use of the courts and the use of all the actors in place, from the assessor to the taxer to the one who sends the letters to the one who sells it at auction, the one who creates and writes the fabricated uh, um, uh, counterfeit instrument and sells it on, at auction, uh, and, and the person who buys it and then sits there and, and, and gets the sheriff to, uh, to throw somebody out of, of their private property, um, that clearly shows that there's a conspiracy because everybody in that chain profits one way or the other, um, or they maintain their status quo, which means the same thing. For the go-alongers of the world, go-alongers to get-alongers, to them, uh, that's, that is their goal. That is, that is the most important thing for them is to maintain whatever is they have. They cling to it. Um, and when you show that the state is going to benefit or somebody benefits, when somebody buys a tax sale, and in buying a piece of property that damn well is worth $70,000 and buying it for $20,000, that's an immediate gain. There's clearly have, uh, there's no way they can ignore the fact that somebody somewhere has lost that's the difference, which is $50,000. It's, it's, it's plain on its face. You're benefiting from somebody else's demise. It, can't, it has to come from somewhere, right? So to me, I would say that you can satisfy these requirements by simply showing the amount that everybody or that each party benefited in some way uh, which they were not or profited in some way that they were not entitled to. And that's the difference between a contract and profit because it has to do with entitlement. Such a claim should be distinguished from the use of evidence of conspiracy in order to establish that a private individual acted under color of state law. And this is where we're going to get to the private individual.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.